Welcome to AJHP Voices, now comprising interviews on contemporary pharmacy issues and discussions with AJHP authors. The service was formerly known as AJHP Podcasts. AJHP is the official journal of ASHP. This is William Zelmer for AJHP Voices, speaking with the lead author of a paper entitled Pharmacist Involvement in a Multidisciplinary Initiative to Reduce Sepsis-Related Mortality. With me is Dr. James R. Beardsley, who is Manager, Graduate and Postgraduate Education in the Department of Pharmacy at Wake Forest Baptist Health, Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Jim, let's begin by having you give some basic background information on Wake Forest Baptist Health. Okay. We're a three-hospital system, and our main hospital is a large academic medical center, Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. It's about 885 beds, probably the main referral center for uh, the western part of the state of North Carolina. We have about 360 employees or so within the Department of Pharmacy. We're fortunate to have a pretty well-established clinical pharmacy program. We round on just about every service. Average pharmacist here has a specialty residency, so we're able to offer a pretty high level of clinical service. Also, we have a well-established antimicrobial stewardship program, so we've been doing that for about 16 years. Oh, yeah. Well, very good. Well, in general, uh, severe sepsis and septic shock are certainly high-priority issues in acute care. How are you addressing these issues before the project that you report in this paper? Well, I think we were all trying to do the right thing, but perhaps not in the most organized manner. We did have some things in place. We had an, an early warning score that would alert our rapid response team to people that were you know, perhaps needing a little bit more uh, attention. And we did have some guidelines in place. Actually, we did an analysis of our own pathogens here and actually have a disease-specific and pathogen-specific sorts of uh, recommendations in place. And I think we all knew that, you know, getting antibiotics and fluids to patients in a timely manner was important, but really we didn't have a very good systematic way of making sure all of that was being done. And then when we actually looked at the data, we realized we weren't really weren't doing it in as timely and as complete of a manner as we had desired. Well, I assume then it was that hard look at the data that led you to re-examine and develop a new approach to reducing sepsis-related mortality. Is that right? Yeah, we have a great chief medical officer. He looked at our, really our overall mortality rate here and mm -hmm. compared it with other UHC hospitals and said, hey, gang, we're in the bottom half. And he said, I don't care what happens, but we are not going to stay in the bottom half. And then he kind of got the chart and circled the top 10 hospitals. He says, this is where we're going to be. I don't know how we're going to get there, but we are actually going to get there. One of the big initiatives that came out of the focus on mortality in general was looking at sepsis-related mortality. That was the thing that kind of launched this initiative. Well, then uh, I gather that the UHC benchmark data look at sepsis-related mortality specifically. Is that right? Yeah, they're able to break that out. Sure. Can you give us a sense of where uh, Wake Forest fell at that point compared to the top institutions in the UHC benchmark? Like I said, we were in the bottom half. And if you looked at compared to the average of the top 10, we were probably double what they were. I see. Mm -hmm. Well, from that point, then, your article reports that a multidisciplinary task force, which included pharmacists, 
created a process to reduce sepsis-related mortality. Uh, please give us the basic features of that new process, including the goals you had for gauging the results. So overall, we got everybody together and we wanted to get a program that would help all of the uh, caregivers just give them some understanding that someone who's septic needs immediate care. You know, we looked at, well, gosh, for people that have a cardiac arrest, we, you know, we have a code blue for that. We have a code stroke for those who have a stroke. So, so we have a code sepsis. Just the word code kind of gets everybody alert to the fact of, gosh, I should do something now. So that kind of was the marketing of our approach. And we had kind of divided up among the different people on the planning committee, different elements. So some people worked on making sure that we were screening people appropriately and then making sure that we communicated that to the necessary people. Within pharmacy, we primarily focused on getting the drug, you know, the antibiotics into the patient in a timely manner. We broke that down into making sure the antibiotics were ordered properly and then processing and delivery of the antibiotic and then administration of the antibiotic. Our goal for that was to get the antibiotic into the patient within 60 minutes of when sepsis was realized. Okay. Well, John, I think it might be helpful to listeners to, to have you talk just a little bit about the pharmacy standard process for order review, order verification, delivery, that sort of thing. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So when we looked at, you know, where were things not happening quickly, we, we met with some of the prescribers that were responding. They said, you know, honestly, sometimes we just lose track of time. So pharmacy kind of was designated the timekeeper. After the code sepsis page, we just kind of would write down when that occurs. If we didn't have any new orders for antibiotics within 15 minutes, we'd call the floor and just say, hey, what do you think is going on with the patient? Do you think you're going to be needing some antibiotics? Because, by the way, we haven't had any order. And so that would alert them. And also, if the physician was tied up doing other things, we initiated a protocol where pharmacists would be able to, to order the antibiotics. So that took that off the physician's hands so they could be dealing with other parts of, of care. As far as the processing goes, we realized as we kind of broke down our process within a pharmacy is that the main problem we had is the orders for those antibiotics kind of got lost in the shuffle. Their urgency was not maintained throughout the whole process. One of the big ones actually was just being alerted that the orders need to be verified quickly because sometimes the orders were not entered as stats. So when the page would go off in the pharmacy that there was a code sepsis called, whoever was manning the pager would just mention to everyone, hey, we have a code sepsis on Mrs. Smith. She's in 5 Ardmore Tower. And then everybody would be alert for orders on, on that patient. So they'd be verified quickly. And then as soon as they were verified, you just communicate to the people that were assembling the, the antibiotics that, hey, those antibiotics are for code sepsis patients. And then when the tech would go take those to a pharmacist to be checked, they'd go, hey, these are for a code sepsis patient. And then when the checker would give it to the tech to send it up to the floor, then they say, hey, code sepsis patient, sips it up. So it wasn't a very high-tech answer to our right. problem. It was just very simple, just voice communication. But it really sure. made a difference in our turnaround yeah. time. Well, and, and developing a system to give orders for uh, patients with sepsis a uh, high priority and not just simply keep them in the queue with other orders. That was a real key. It sounds like you have a, a central order verification process in the pharmacy. Is that right? During day shift hours, 
a lot of the verification would occur up on the floor. And so honestly, if we got a page downstairs, we would communicate to the pharmacist that was assigned to that patient uh, to be on the lookout. But it seemed like most of the code sepsis you know, occurred in either second shift or third shift uh, hours. And in there, we were operating out of a central operation. Okay. Well, uh, Jim, as you look at the overall uh, process changes you made, what were the major challenges you faced in, in implementing that program? Well, it seems a little rosy maybe, but honestly, we didn't hit half the challenges we thought we would. It actually was fairly easy to put this out and to get it rolling. I think a lot of that had to do with our very high-level physician support. That really helped. So the prescribers were on board kind of from the get-go. And also the people that were responsible for processing within the pharmacy, you know, our solutions were very simple, easy to do, and so they were easy to be taken up. I think our main challenge that we had is that there were a few physicians that just didn't want to do it. Our answer to that was, and actually, this came from the medical staff, doctor talking to other doctor. It's like, hey, code sepsis just helps you get what you really want done, done more efficiently. So if you want the blood gas built back quicker, call code sepsis. If you want the antibiotics given quicker, call code sepsis. And so once they realized that code sepsis was just something to help facilitate giving proper care more efficiently, the buy-in from everyone really increased. Sure. Well, you've talked here about uh, sort of the uh, pharmacy perspective, the physician perspective. What about nursing? Anything uh, to comment on there? Yeah, I mean, I'm very proud of our nurses. And I'm also very, very proud of our nursing educators because they really invested themselves in this. You know, we rolled it out in a kind of a systematic way throughout units at, at times. And our nurse educators spent a lot of time with the floor nurses explaining why are we doing this? This is how you screen the patient. This is how you communicate. And our compliance rate with screening and communication was in the upper 90s from like the first day we, we rolled it out, um, which I think really is a testimony to, like I said, our nurse educators and the commitment to the whole nursing staff of improving sepsis care. Well, um, what were the results of the process changes you made? Well, our turnaround time for an antibiotic, actually from the time you know we got a page that there was a code sepsis patient to the time that we tubed the antibiotic up, our average time became 14 minutes. Wow. Considering that includes time that the patient had to be assessed, antibiotic ordered, and then also antibiotic processed and all, we thought that was, that was pretty good turnaround time. As far as our goal to get the antibiotic into the patient, you know, before code sepsis, for an ICU patient, it was like 427 minutes on average, and that was decreased to 31 minutes. For our patients that were in the non-ICU areas, it went from 396 minutes before code sepsis to 51 minutes. So we achieved that goal of getting the antibiotics into the patient under 60 minutes in pretty much uh, everyone. The metric, though, that we're most pleased with is that our mortality index decreased from 1.65 down to uh, 0.8. So that was more than a cut in half. And, you know, you kind of multiply that out, that results in over 200 lives saved each year. So that was the thing. I mean, I think it's, it's okay. Your staff gets a little bit excited about little process metrics. But when you can say, gosh, we did this and it saves lives, I mean, it's just hard to argue with the success of that. Yeah, that's very impressive. Uh, how is that mortality index calculated? It's essentially just the mortality rate that you have versus what's expected based on, you know, severity of illness and that sort of thing. Okay. 
Well, Jim, you talked earlier about um, the, the fact that uh, in this program, pharmacists had some authority under certain conditions to order antibiotics for treating patients with sepsis. Can you give us some details on the extent to which uh, this, this happened, at least during the period that you report in the paper, and maybe what has happened subsequently to that assessment phase? Yeah, we did a little study of how often you know, pharmacists are needing to do that. And I think it's around like 18% of all calls or maybe about a quarter of the time that antibiotics are needed, pharmacy ends up ordering the antibiotics. Was there any uh, uh, eyebrows raised among the medical staff in uh, the beginning on this, or was it pretty smooth sailing in terms of getting this authorized? Actually, it was our chief medical officer's idea. It's funny, I, I still remember it like yesterday. I was, I was shopping in Best Buy, and I get a page from our chief medical officer about 6 o'clock at night. He says, Jim, this is Russ. Hey, I think I figured out how we can you know, get antibiotics ordered faster. We're just going to have pharmacy do it. Could you just make that happen? And so <laughs> I was tasked with putting together the protocol. But honestly, we got the protocol through P&T within about seven days and implemented and Based on really our normal practice here, that isn't that much of a stretch from what our pharmacists do. Physicians are used to having us that kind of clinical authority around. So that actually was accepted uh, quite well. Well, the door was opened by uh, the physicians and uh, you ran through it. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Jim, have there been any recent enhancements to the program that you describe in the paper? Well, yeah, like most organizations, I'm sure, I mean, just because you have a success doesn't mean you don't keep on, you know, trying to improve things. And so we've, we've continued to meet as a group and look at uh, how we are affecting sepsis. A couple things that we're incorporating into our processes, uh, new uh, surviving sepsis guidelines came down. And so they have some different goals with some different time frames that they recommend. And so we're incorporating those into our process. And also our screening tool is going to be changed. Rather than using an early warning score, we're really going to focus on hypotension because that is like a, a universally bad thing. So even if the patient doesn't have sepsis, if you, you know, have a low blood pressure or you've you know, dropped your blood pressure significantly, that's someone that providers need to look at more carefully. And a lot of those uh, might have either severe sepsis or septic shock. So we think by using hypotension as our screening tool, we might be able to be more sensitive to those severely ill patients who really need that prompt care. So those are the, the two biggest changes that we're incorporating in our processes. Well, Jim, I, I know that it's common for uh, in programs such as this for you know the initial positive results to maybe fade over time. Uh, People uh, perhaps take their eye off the ball, uh, focus on some other issues. But I wonder, how have you gone about maintaining a sharp focus on prompt identification and treatment of sepsis? Yeah, that, that's a good question. Part of it is that we've made the screening easier for the nurses. We're using a little bit more technology, so it's not as much of a memory step for them. It takes a little bit less effort. You know, you make it easier, that's always a good way to keep it going. Also, sharing the results. We're excited now that we implemented something that really worked. And so that's a good way of doing that. So now it's really kind of part of our DNA. You know, in fact, in the pharmacy now, we don't even record our turnaround time for sepsis antibiotics. We measured it for a couple of years. It was as good. It was like, don't, we don't even need to measure it anymore. It's just now kind of hardwired, I think, into, into what we do. Well, that's great to hear. Jim, do you have any advice for other institutions that might be contemplating an assessment of their approach to treating patients with sepsis? Yeah, I think one thing is, is to use data. 
I mean, people have ideas about why things might be going on this way or that way and, and how well they might be doing. I think if anything you can do to really get hard data is very good. Another thing is to really try to keep it simple. And I think people are more likely to do it. I, I know we were really blessed to have strong position support. And so I think, you know, making sure that all the, the heavy hitters within the organization want to do it is, is a great uh, recipe for success. And I think another thing is to realize that, you know, sepsis care is a team sport. So it takes everybody with a common goal working together. So I think that team aspect is really essential for success. Well, Jim, um, it's a wonderful success story you have here. My compliments to you and your team and in what you've been able to achieve. And thank you so much for taking time to discuss your program with me today. This is William Zalmer for AJHB Voices. I've been speaking with Dr. James R. Beardsley about the paper for which he is lead author entitled Pharmacist Involvement in a Multidisciplinary Initiative to Reduce Sepsis-Related Mortality. Thank you for listening. That concludes this interview. For more information about AJHP, please visit www.ajhp.org.